0: Today is Pentecost Sunday, and we celebrate the pouring of the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that on Pentecost Sunday, it is the Apostle Peter who preaches first. Peter, the man who confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Peter, to whom Jesus once said, get behind me, Satan. It was this same Peter, you remember, who 50 days ago denied Jesus three times. He is now preaching the first sermon. He is now filled with the Holy Spirit and conviction that Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. Clearly, as Peter shows, the Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behavior. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for unwavering faith. Truly, the Holy Spirit is not given to those who possess such eloquent talents and abilities. Peter is a fisherman. He's a low caste. He's an outcast. The Holy Spirit, though, is the free gift of God given through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This Holy Spirit comes to us from the Father and the Son, Through the word preached, through the word taught, through the word confessed, through the word sung, in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. The words of Jesus given by the Father to us. What is this word through which the Spirit came to the disciples and then to us? The word is that your sins are forgiven and that death has been destroyed because whereas before in our sinfulness, and in the world's sinfulness, a world with no Savior, we had to justify our lives, our sins, and our actions before God. Just like Peter, who had to justify denying his Savior. And you know, when we try to justify our actions, we, like Peter, always come up short. Justification for us was a matter of life and death facing judgment. But because of Christ, justification is now a matter of death and life. It's not our death that justifies, but his who takes away the sins of the world and through whose resurrection he has conquered and given death the death sentence. This passage from death to life comes to us through God's word, and we believe it because of the working of the Holy Spirit through that word. The Holy Spirit is that which creates new life in what is dead. And there's no greater picture of this than what we just read in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 37 the story of dead bones coming to life because of God's word preached to them. In Ezekiel 37, life enters the dry. Dead bones, form sinews, muscle, flesh, and the Spirit of God acting through what? Through God's Word. That same Word that created and brought into existence all that exists. That same Word that addressed the disciples after his resurrection, peace. And remember, that means wholeness. You are now whole. You lack nothing. Well, let me share with you something interesting about the Ezekiel text. The word, the Hebrew word for breath is the same as spirit. And it's the same in Greek, too. Spirit, breath, wind. The word for spirit comes from both Hebrew and Greek, nephesh and pneuma. The Holy Spirit is the holy breath of God. Try reading the passage in Ezekiel now, and instead of spirit, cross out and put the word breath. An example. Therefore prophesy, which means to preach, and say to them, thus says the Lord your God, you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people, and I will put my breath within you, and you shall live. Remember Adam and Eve? When Adam was created, what did God do? He breathed life into Adam. Then sin came. He's breathed life into us, a new creation in the Holy Spirit. There's no other explanation to why Peter, 50 days prior, when he denied Jesus, is now the first sermon of Pentecost. Peter is justified. His bones have passed from the deadness and lifelessness of sin to a new life of freedom and joy and purpose and everlasting reward. And it is God's breathed word of life that is now going out from Peter's mouth into the dry and dead bones of all those groups of people that Tom so Pronounced so well during the reading of Acts. Of. They too can live by God's Spirit. They too can hear the joy of the resurrection. It's God's breathed word of life that's going out. Justification for Peter is now a matter of death and life. Moved by this life-giving Spirit, he's chosen to preach the first sermon. After him... The other 12 went throughout the world, preaching and teaching what had happened. And not only them, but remember the 70 that Jesus sent out in the Gospel of Luke. Not one of them studied the university. Not one of them could probably read very well. What could they possibly do to transform the world? Fishermen. You know, the Jews in Jesus' day identified the sea and all those who worked upon it with the Gentiles. Imagine that. To the Jewish audience, the people, the disciples were as good as Gentiles, unclean, someone you don't associate with, unrighteous, the scum of society. But when Jesus sends you his Holy Spirit, he sends you out with new life in the world around you. You have the breath of God and live every day because of him. This joy is uncontainable, indescribable, and contagious to those who have no hope or life within them. We, too, are now made alive in Christ Jesus. How? Because God's word breathes life into us as we're reading his word, in our baptisms, in the Lord's Supper, in the hymns that we sing, We were bags of dead bones, the walking dead, spiritually dead, with no purpose, with no hope. And were it not for the breath of God, His Spirit breathed into us through His Word, we would still be in our sins and dead. But when God gets a hold of you and sends you His Holy Spirit, leading you to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he sends you out with new life, a joy that is uncontainable, indescribable, and contagious to those who have no hope or life within them. But in this new life, which Peter and the disciples found, these disciples only had their fishing nets to offer God. So Jesus uses them as they are. He sends them out as they are. He sends them out as what they knew and what they could do, and made them fishers of men. Sent out as fishermen, but with a new purpose in life. So now I ask you, what do you have to offer God? How do you, filled with this same spirit, change the world? Well, you don't. We just covered that. It's God's spirit through his word and through your life that does. We can only offer what we have and who we are and what we know. Do we not all have our jobs and our simple, unimaginative lives like the disciples did? This is the last of the three-part series. We started with U-turn, you remember, and saw that congregations can get lost going down a wrong road and the reasons for their existence, and need to make a U-turn. They, they maybe pay attention to numbers or gimmicky things to attract people, especially when their numbers are dwindling. That's where we started. They want to hold on to what they have. They must make a U-turn, and the only way this can happen is by digging into God's Word and rediscovering that every congregation is an ambassador in this world. To announce, preach, teach, baptize, And fellowship to release God's Word and Spirit into the world to bring Christ to others and support needs in the community. Well last Sunday then we looked at not U-Turn but we gave a little twist to the name and we called it the We-Turn. That is our individual congregation and others like us as well. To see that no matter if the congregation is big or small we must keep our eyes on the prize. We must keep our eyes on God's mission. And we saw how the enemy Satan loves to distract us with lies. Remember the lies? lies? You're worthless. You're not good enough. You'll never be like that congregation down the street on the corner where the grass is greener and the people are always flocking. You're doomed. You're never going to make it. And being in God's word, knowing his mission, allows us to recognize these lies. And we can strategically spot them and snuff them out. We can and should support one another. We turn as a church when we band together. Today we take another twist the I turn. It's getting more personal. You turn, we turn, I turn. It's kind of like that ice cream. Ice cream. You scream, we all scream for ice cream. Now we're going to look at it. You turn, we turn, I turn. The turn focuses on the individual. It focuses on you and then on me. Turning the un, uh, <coughs> concerning the U-turn, it's fine to know that there are churches out there that need a turn and a new perspective and mission. And concerning the we turn, we can all agree that we need to turn as well that grace needs to recognize the lies of the enemy that can deceive and that can disillusion and can dismay us, our projects, our attempts to reach out. And we can agree as well that what we need to do, we need to do it for God's mission, not just to preserve and maintain what we have. Yes, we can even vote on it. And we can even sign a document saying this. But unless there is an I turn... The we is weakened. I must revisit my faith. I must revisit why I am here. I must grasp how my justification, like Peter's and the disciples, is a matter of death and life. There's a paradox here, however. I turns do not begin with me. They begin with God's word. It begins with the working of the Holy Spirit. As John says in chapter 15, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And I've chosen you to bear fruit. And then again in his letters to other churches, he says, love is not that we have loved others, but that God has first loved us. And the bones of Ezekiel didn't reach out. They were dead. So we were once dead as well, and now alive in Christ, like the bones. It is God's work that has worked faith in you to turn from sin and acknowledge your need for your Savior and turn back to God. It's the same work of the Holy Spirit that turned fishermen, tax collectors, gorillas, and prostitutes from death to life. They couldn't make the first move to Christ. Christ made the first move to them. It's Christ who reshapes lives. It is he who causes us to make an eye turn to follow him. I'm certain that as the disciples looked at themselves and what they had to offer, they encountered the enemy's lies of deception and accusations of worthlessness. What gifts did they have to offer? Fish? Money? A weapon of rebellion? Rather, it was God's Spirit who made them live in a new way. Their background lives did not change. They were still fishermen. They were still tax collectors. They still lived in a community. They still had friends. They still had families. They still knew and hung out with their buddies, but their life was changed. Think of who you are. Our congregation has accountants, Navy commander, people who worked in communications at Bell Telephone, Chevron employees, banks, realty, teachers, medical personnel. You are no different than fishermen. And God chooses you. You live in the world as the disciples did, but with changed lives. You, like them, have been justified. The life you live is a matter of death and life. On Pentecost, the promised Holy Spirit was poured out on all people. That is not merely the prophets of the Old Testament were chosen to preach God's word. Prophesy means preach. Now all God's people, filled with the Holy Spirit, young men dream dreams, old men see visions, And believe now, have the Holy Spirit to announce, preach, teach, and be his spokesman to everyone. But maybe we should, instead of talking about I turn, maybe we should say my turn. Because first it was the disciples who were called and chosen to preach and teach. They were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which was all that they needed to go out on God's mission. But now, it's my turn. Like in a race, the baton has been passed to you and me. We are the ones who are chosen to bring Christ to others and support needs in our community, just like the apostles did in their daily lives. That's what Paul did as a fisherman. He was not a fisherman. He was a tent maker. Wherever he went, he brought his business to earn his keep, and then he spent time with people, with friends, with churches, and teaching and living for Christ as a tent maker he never shirked any opportunity to change someone's life to let loose that holy spirit to make matter of death and life he made use of his time he made use of his talents he made use of his abilities that god gave him even in prison i know our excuses our excuses are that we have no special gifts like peter We can't preach like Paul. We're not like the disciples. But this isn't true. We, like the apostles and all in Christendom, have the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives the words. He's the one who leads people to us in our lives. He's the one who sets situations so that we can give hope and comfort and love or words of encouragement to other people. The Holy Spirit helps you, helps me, strengthens us and dwells within us to use the gifts that we have for him. You don't have to explore some esoteric, special, unbelievable gifts wishing we had what someone else has. Any ability you have, anything you do is a gift that is used by God in and among those you know. You do what you can do and say it the best you can To people who know you because God's spirit directs those words from your mouths and your hands in service. Today as you take your turn, you can take that turn only because of the work of God's spirit in you. The gift giver gives you life. Your gift is eternal life. He wants you to give it away. Your gift is the knowledge of a loving savior. He wants you to give it away. Your gift is peace and comfort. He wants you to give it away as a teacher, a nurse, an accountant, even a retired person. A retired person does not retire from his or her faith, nor his or her need for their Savior. Let us all confess, it's my turn to bring Christ to others and support my community through the power of God's Spirit in me. There is nothing I cannot do with what he has given me. Amen.